Our lesson today will be entitled, Our Genetic Israelite Heritage. Is it worthy of sacrifice, or is it just a novelty? Interesting, but not worthy of a lifestyle change. Does your walk through this world, does your lifestyle reflect what God told ancient Israel? That is the part two of this lesson. And for those of you who took a worksheet, I will be attempting to stick reasonably close to it on this journey, which is not easy for me to do. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you on this lovely, beautiful Sabbath day, our January worship day, here in 2023, the very first time we open our Bibles in a sanctuary setting in this new year. My Father and my God, help us all. Father in heaven, I humbly ask in Christ's blessed name that you will assist and bless and nurture and strengthen and fortify and establish upon a firm foundation all those that you love, that you cherish, that you have bought and paid for by your blood. Merciful God, guide us. Bless this time spent together in the Word of God this morning. Father, you have said, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. Thus saith the prophet Isaiah, Lord God, take the word, the words of biblical truth, and let them not return unto you void, but let them speak to whosoever you ordain to hear. In Christ's name, let him that hath ears hear. Amen. We open our study today by looking at part two of our Israel identity heritage, and I'd like to remind the congregation that 2,000 years ago, Jesus visited a city, and in that city there lived a man. In that city there lived a man who had heard about Jesus, a lot about Jesus, and he was desperate to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus was his dream for that day. Now, the whole little town where Jesus is coming is crowded with people because the word is spread. There's a man from Galilee. There's, there's a young man. He's in his early 30s and he's healing the lame. He's opening the eyes of the blind. He's causing crippled people to walk. He's raising the dead. So you can know that the reputation of Jesus solicited among the people of Judea a tremendous response. So when Jesus arrived at the little town where Zacchaeus lived, Zacchaeus himself was not a popular man. He was a publican. And he was very rich. And for those two reasons, he didn't have very many friends. And you know why. It was not popular to be a tax collector for the Roman government, nor was it popular necessarily to be rich among common people. Nevertheless, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. Being very short of stature, 
He doesn't know how to see Jesus because everybody's taller than he is and he's lost in the crowd. I want to see Jesus was his fondest ambition. So he climbs up into a tree. Boys and girls, he climbs up into a tree so he can see Jesus. To our boys and girls in this congregation, would you climb a tree to see Jesus if you knew he was coming to see us? Zacchaeus is up in the tree. He doesn't know that Jesus sees him at all. But Zacchaeus was the very one that Jesus came to see in that city. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down. Come to down, for today I must visit you. In so many words. And in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verse 9, Jesus announces a dynamic truth. To anyone who's there and listening, he says, This day, on this very day, salvation is coming to this house because he is a son, a seed of Abraham. One of the most beautiful verses in the Bible because it announces to us what Jesus had said as recorded in Matthew 15, 24, I am not sent, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. If you read deeper in, into the gospel record, you find that Jesus, according to the gospel of Luke, visited a Sabbath congregation one day, and he healed a woman who had been bound in her physical body and crippled for no less than 18 years. On the Sabbath day, Jesus unbound that woman and freed her from her horrible physical condition. And Jesus announced after he was accused of violating the Sabbath, on that day he was accused for healing, and he said, Ought not this woman, whom Satan has bound for 18 years, be loosed on the Sabbath day? Ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, be delivered on this day from this bondage. People, what does it mean to be an Israelite, to know that you are an Israelite, the people for whom Jesus came to bleed and die? Isaiah 45, 4, Israel mine elect, the people I have chosen before the foundation of the world. And so, with those thoughts in mind, we look at our worksheet today. The Israel identity belief is irrelevant to any of us without a converted heart that has been quickened. Now the word quickened in that second blank is one of the most beautiful words in the New Testament scripture because until we are quickened by the power of the Holy Spirit we are spiritually dead you might want to pencil in Ephesians 2 verse 1 and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 The identity belief then is irrelevant without a converted heart that has been quickened by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The marvelous truth of Israel identity apart from, hello, salvation is irrelevant. Unless we have 
been discovered and found by Jesus Christ. And he has quickened us and made us alive. We are spiritually dead outside of his kingdom. And we could believe that we are racially an Israelite and it would make no difference if we don't know Jesus. No one can see the kingdom or enter into the kingdom. No one can see or enter into the kingdom without having been spiritually regenerated. Without having been spiritually regenerated. Now, the word regenerated really means to be spiritually recreated in a way that the image and likeness of God that he gave to Adam and Eve before the fall, sin obliterates or mars or deadens or hides that image in us. When we become a Christian, the image and the likeness of God is returned to us. Little by little, he's changing me. Day by day, he's changing me. From glory to glory, I'm coming back to where Adam and Eve were before the fall. It's a process. It's a lifelong process. And the image and the likeness becomes more and more visible and more and more real as we grow in our Christian maturity. Unless we have been spiritually regenerated, regenerated and awakened. That word awakened is equivalent of being quickened. Or it means what happens when we are regenerated. Now you all are so familiar with John 3, 3 through 8. But you might want to look at those verses for a moment. When Nicodemus came to Jesus in John's gospel chapter number 3, and Nicodemus came by night because he was a member of that Jewish Sanhedrin, excuse me, Judean Sanhedrin. Now there were many, many legitimate Judeans on that body of 70. Nicodemus was one of those and he was an Israelite. He came to Jesus by night because he knew he was a great teacher. He knew he was performing miracles. Wanted to see the wisdom of Jesus. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, a very proud man, a man well-educated, with high esteem. And he said, Nicodemus, verily, verily, I say unto thee, that means truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again. The word again is Greek, anothen, to be born, firstborn from above. To be quickened and made alive from heaven. Except a man be born again, anothen, from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That is a dynamic truth, people. Except we know the king, we will not see the kingdom. How many Israelites, stubborn, unyielding Israelites, believe they're Israel, and they are probably. They pro I'm sure they, many of them, most of them are. But if they have not come, into a knowledge of Christ. They cannot see the kingdom. That's, that's challenging. Who would not want everyone to see the kingdom? Moreover, Jesus continued to tell Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. We can neither see nor enter into the kingdom of heaven. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. 
That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus continued to say, Marvel not that I said unto you, ye must be born again, again, anothen, firstborn from above. Marvel not that I said unto you, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell from whence it cometh, and whether it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. We don't know and we can't understand the miraculous way that the Holy Spirit convicts us and changes us and helps us to see that Jesus, Jesus Christ and His kingdom is greater far greater than anything in this earth because it represents eternity and where we will spend it. So important. And so we continue on here in our little worksheet. The path into the kingdom is not a walk in the park. How many would agree with that? The walk, the road to the kingdom is not a walk in the park. There are mountains to climb and there are rivers to cross. Can you imagine what our forebears thought as they arrived at the Mississippi River in a Conestoga caravan of wagons? How will they cross the mighty, mighty Mississippi? that to them looked like an ocean. The road to the kingdom requires us to cross some rivers, folks. Treacherous canyons that must be avoided. Treacherous canyons. And yet the, the path, in spite of all the obstacles, the path, the path is filled with a peace a peace that this world cannot give you because you know where the destiny of your journey is. The sense of well-being, your sense of well-being, of fulfillment, meaning, and purpose. There are millions today who are perishing because they have no meaning and purpose in life. They have lost their way in this world. Hundreds and thousands of young men into nihilism. Nihilism is a state where you have nothing to hold on to. You don't believe there is truth and your life is empty. You're living the life of Peter Pan. You stay a child. You never grow up. You just continue to be Peter Pan. That's millions of young men without meaning and purpose and fulfillment. And they're committing suicide because they have no meaning. But if they knew that God wanted them to be a soldier in His army... If they knew that God wanted them to find a wonderful girl to be their wife, to raise up children to the glory of God, and to raise up His church as a witness in a dark world, those young men would not be killing themselves. They are living in a world that gives them no meaning and no hope. No responsibility. Their life is without a purpose. Our ancestors that started out in covered wagons from the East Coast did not have a road map to the West Coast. They did not know the hazards they would face from savage Indians, swift 
flowing rivers, deserts, mountains, prairies, diseases. But they looked at their destiny. They wanted to go to a new land. Kingdom-bound people are on a journey. It's not a geographical journey, but it is a frontier by every stretch of the imagination. Because when you're traveling the road to the kingdom, you're traveling a road that you personally have never walked. And all the ones that have walked that road before you cannot reach back in time and tell you how to live, what to avoid, and what to hold on to. So the kingdom is paved. The kingdom path is paved with blessing and joy unmeasured. For mature Christians, the days of sadness, sorrow, and suffering are greatly minimized. I'd like you to think about that statement. Your ability to weather the storms of life, beloved, will largely depend on the level of your maturity as a believer. The more mature you are in Jesus Christ, Whatever the tragedies, whatever the evil, whatever the obstacle is, you will be far better off if you're a mature Christian. Do you agree? I believe that's a true statement. And yes, there will be tra tragedies filled with suffering along the road to the kingdom. Think of the suffering. Think of the suffering. I'm thinking of the families who buried their children along the path of the Oregon Trail. I'm thinking of the mothers who gave birth to a child in a covered wagon without water and sanitation. And about half of all those newborns died along the way. What must it have been like to bury the baby and arise in the morning and move along the trail with the rest of the wagon train? Beloved, our life entry into a fallen world is not an easy road to live. That's why so many millions never make it <coughs> because they cannot endure the hardness of a fallen world. But when we are apprehended of Jesus Christ, we become victorious, overcoming Christians. And you can never be an overcomer unless you've overcome something. Can you, can you be an overcomer? No. Without overcoming something. And the more you overcome, the stronger you become. Yes, there will be tragedies with much suffering. But we need to remember that a lot of human suffering and tragedy is self-inflicted by unwise choices. I have made unwise choices. I suffer for unwise choices just like everyone else. And sometimes events occur which no one has any control over. It just occurs. Tragedy occurring without anyone being necessarily responsible. You could be in the path of a volcanic eruption. You could have been in the path of a huge mountain 
downpour and have been drowned before you could get out of the way. Tragedy. Tragedy is not the same as evil. Tragedy occurs sometimes without intent and no malice is involved. Evil is intentional. Evil is intentional and issues from a wicked heart. Amen. The Bible says, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Is it difficult to say my heart is wicked above all things? Desperately wicked. And the next verse, God gives all of us the reins to see where our heart will take us. The words of Mark 7, 21, 7, 21 through 23, these words have challenged me as much as any word found in Scripture. When Jesus said, Mark 7, 21, For from within... Out of the heart of man proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, pride and foolishness. All of these things come from within and out of the heart. Yes, taming our hearts, beloved, is a lifelong walk of diligent effort. With God as our helper. So let's look at number two. <clears throat> Israel identity requires a major paradigm shift. Now a paradigm is a method. It's a plan to accomplish something. A paradigm shift from the typical bland vanilla view of the person ministry and place that Jesus Christ holds in the minds of many professing Christians. So the view that you have of Jesus is going to be all important. Your genetic Israelite heritage and the manner in which that heritage impacts your lifestyle is going to be largely controlled by how you personally, not your neighbor, how you personally view the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the Bible tells us in the words of one of the most celebrated apostles. He says in 1 Corinthians 3.11, can we read this together? I have printed it out so we can read it right there from the page. For other foundation. For other foundation. Now that word foundation, church, is so important. Foundation appears in the Bible again and again. No other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 3.11 and the verses that follow. Now, here's the warning. Christ is the foundation for an Israelite on the way to the kingdom. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, there's that word foundation again in that scripture. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble. So if you build on that foundation, wood, hay, stubble, and money, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed, what is that word? By fire. Now there are three baptisms in this life. 
There's baptism by water, baptism by spirit, and baptism by fire. Is that in the Bible? It is in the Bible. And it's in the Gospels. And the fire will, shall try every man's work of what, it is, of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive. What is the word that goes there? A reward. Hallelujah. If any man, if any man's work, once you have named the name of Christ, and you're building on the foundation of Jesus Christ, the, the work that you do in this life, what you do as a lifestyle, how you live your life, and what you do with your life is all important. Shall receive a reward if any man's work. Now watch this. This is going to challenge your intellect. If any man's work shall be burned, if the life you have lived is a life filled with wood, hay, and stubble, if your life has been building and collecting wood, hay, and stubble, now watch closely. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved. A lot of people have trouble with that verse. Because they cannot imagine someone whose, life ver whose life's work has been so crippled by the accumulation of wood, hay, and stubble, silver, and gold that they did not spend their First fruits of time, wealth, energy, love, prayer for the king and his kingdom. They took all the time that God gave them on this earth and they devoted it to built, gathering wood, hay, and stubble and the rest of it. But they, if they were saved, they did not lose their salvation. They only lost their works, their reward, what will they be doing in the kingdom? I don't know. Running the vacuum cleaner. I don't know. I know they'll have no reward. Maybe they'll be running the popcorn machine. I don't know. I just know they won't have any reward. In other words, there won't be any stars in their crown. <clears throat> so we need to look at something. The life we live will determine... Whether our life is focused on Jesus Christ and his kingdom, or for this world typified by silver, gold, wood, hay, and stubble. Our life work will be revealed by the fire and the trials that we endure in this world. If our works survive the fire, if our works survive the fire, that will determine the position we hold in the kingdom. So our life will be revealed by the fire and the trials that we endure in this world. And if our works survive the fire, we will receive a reward that will determine the position we hold in the kingdom. If our works in this life are burned up in the fire of judgment, we will lose our reward while the redeemed soul itself shall survive the fire and be saved. Now, let's look at a case law in the Bible to prove this. What are we doing? We're looking at a man whose life was wood, hay, and stubble. Lust and bad things. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So now I challenge you, open your Bible, 1 Corinthians 5, and let's read together just five little verses. 1 Corinthians 5, 1, 
Welcome to Bible Case Law. Let's read together. I'm in 1 Corinthians 5.1. Join me, please. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should live, one should have his father's wife. Now that, that statement here is, is horrible. It's sad that a man that was part of a congregation was into incest. And that congregation, that congregation at Corinth is the one we're talking about. And notice what, now this is the, the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians. He says, verse 2, You are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For verily, as, as absent in the body, Paul says, I'm not part of that body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done, so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse 5 is, is, a, is a tough verse to read. Paul says, To deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. He's not saying we're going to call the sheriff and hold a trial in the court of man. He's going to say, we're going to turn him over to Satan because he will not come to repentance. Did you know the next verse says this, or the next line, the next phrase, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Now say this with me, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, folks, listen. We've got, to, we've got to grow in our theology. Do you know that once Jesus has truly bought a soul and paid for that soul by his blood, that he cannot lose that soul? It belongs to Christ. We cannot dare say that Jesus is going to lose someone he bought and paid for. Yes, their life may be filled with wood, hay, and stubble, but Jesus will not lose what he said, what he bought and paid for. Now, I want to I quote from John 5, correction, John 6, 39. You may want to write this verse down, or it may be part of the record there. John 6, 39, it is. This is the words, these, these are the words of Jesus. No higher authority. John 6, 39, and this is the Father's will. This is the Father's will which has sent me that of all, listen, which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. But should raise it up again at the last day. So folks, the goal of a Christian the goal of a real Christian is found in Galatians 6, 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself lest thou also be tempted. So, 2 Corinthians, beloved, is a marvelous book because 2 Corinthians is the 
remarkable story of this sinner in 1 Corinthians 5 who finally came to repentance and was restored in his spirit and soul and regained his status so that he could build whatever part of his life was left he could build it with works meet for repentance to the glory of God. Bible's an interesting book. And so we continue now, beloved, in our little pilgrimage here this morning. And we go to the bottom of our page. Good works are a future attainment your good works are a future retain, uh, attainment, A-T-T-A-I-N-M-E-N-T for the young, young children. While our salvation, a gift from God, is a present possession. Your salvation is not something you will receive. If you are delivered, if you are saved, you have salvation now. Oh, I know that's a hard message for some people to believe. They, they believe that God can lose. That God can lose. And that is true. If you do the choosing, you can do the losing. But if God does the choosing, God doesn't participate in losing. Only people who follow the Arminian road, believe they have that they are in the driver's seat and control the future. And so we continue to emphasize salvation is a gift, a present possession that cannot be lost as per the testimony of Jesus in John 6, 39, John 10, 26 through 30, Romans 28, Romans 8, 28 through 39, those are marvelous verses to convince the most doubtful person that you, Jesus cannot lose what he buys and pays for. And so, continuing, we know that Jesus himself gave us his own paradigm for life in this world. When he said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you, John 6, Matthew 6, 33. Oh, what a powerful little verse that is. It's a verse to live by. Matthew 6, 33 is, is a motto that you can live by for life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Number four, St. Paul, sheet two, number four. St. Paul spent much of his time compelling Israel to repent and seek the kingdom of God. St. Paul wanted desperately genetic Israelites to repent and seek the kingdom of God. So many Israelites have great sincerity, yes, even unbelieving in the sense that they do not know Christ. There's many wonderful Israelite people who have great sincerity, but they've never met the king. They have great sincerity with a zealous Correction with a zeal for good works of the law. A whole world of Israelites that have great zeal. That's energy, enthusiasm for God's law. All of which is great. Sincerity with a zeal for the good works of the law. All of which is great, but not, not how we qualify for eternal life.
So young people, I hope that you're filling this out so important to you. Love and zeal for the law is wonderful. Praise God if you love the law. It's wonderful, but will not give you everlasting life. The law can expose your wickedness, but it cannot wash you, sanctify you, and save you. It's like standing in front of the mirror, and you've got dirty face, dirty hands. The mirrors, the law, it says, you're dirty. Wash yourself. But the law can't keep you from getting dirty because you're going to get dirty again. But Jesus will change your nature and not want you to let sin obliterate the goodness of his salvation. And so... Genetics for Israel is vital and very necessary. Yes, genetics are very necessary. Cannot emphasize that enough, but we are not saved by our genetics. I know that that's hard for many Israelites to, to hear, but your, your genetics cannot deliver you from the kingdom of Satan. Only Christ can deliver you from the darkness of this world into the glorious liberty of his kingdom. Neither law or genetics can save. So we'll turn now, we'll turn now to Philippians 3. And this probably with deepest regret is as far as we're going to go on this worksheet today. So we're going to go to Philippians and we're going to end up at chapter number 3 beginning in verse 4. Let's punctuate all that we've heard this morning beloved with these verses. From the celebrated pen of the Holy Spirit using St. Paul he said I'm in Philippians chapter 3. I'm at verse 4. I pray that's where you are. Philippians 3 verse 4. These are, these are dynamite words. Paul says, Though I might also have great, also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinks that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. He says... This is Paul's pedigree. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So Paul says, look, if you want to make genetics the test, for your salvation, you'll not find better genetics than mine or not in those words. And I don't want you to think that Paul's bragging here. He's simply saying that no matter how perfect your Israelite ancestral heritage is, it will not get you into the kingdom. Moreover, he's saying that no matter how perfect you keep the law, you can keep it as perfect as the old ancient Pharisees keep their, uh, tried to keep the law. And you know what the Pharisees tried? They woke up in the morning. They went to sleep at night pretending that they were perfect because they kept the law. Truth is, they violated it all the time. But we're too prideful to know it. And Paul's zeal the zealousness of St. Paul was well known. He's known for arresting Christians, dragging them into the authorities. He's the most notorious Christian abuser 
in the world at that time, and he was a zealous man. When God chose St. Paul, he chose him because he knew that St. Paul would become the most zealous apostle he could ever choose. He wrote half the New Testament. He helped found 90% of all the churches in Asia Minor. What, a, what an apostle. He's the most abused apostle today because a lot of people hate St. Paul. They don't even believe he's genuine. Now, beloved, that was where we left off at number four. Neither law or genetics can save us. And I'm ready now to end this lesson, but not quite, because I looked at my clock wrong. I am coming toward the end, but I'm not there yet. So, Father, help my eyes. <laughs> now, there are three really, really important reasons that the law serves. So I've left these blank. Now, beloved, who am I to tell you how to define the three single great purposes of the law? But three is the number of completeness, so that's where I'm going to land. Now, there's a little book in the bookstore. It's called God's Law, Today, Tomorrow, and Forever. The book is 20 years old. It, it only has 20 pages in it. You can read it in, uh, oh, you could read this book in, in 20 minutes. And I'm going to give you the summary of the three points covered in this book, if I can. Number one, <clears throat> what a challenge now to summarize this in a statement. You can write on that paper. Law number one defines sin, produces guilt. Correction. The law defines sin. <coughs> Excuse me. Judges the sinner guilty. The law defines sin, judges the, the sinner guilter, guilty, and sends him to the cross as the only remedy for his sin. <coughs> Number two. So law defines the law the law defines sin establishes the guilt of the sinner and sends him to Jesus Christ as the only remedy for his sin. Now that's number one. Number two, the Holy Spirit employs or uses the law to sanctify, to sanctify the believer. The Holy Spirit cannot sanctify the, the, the law in the heart of any unbeliever. Because the law of God neither justifies the wicked nor sanctifies, nor sanctifies the righteous. The Holy Spirit is the great sanctifier, not the law itself. The Holy Spirit is what says to you and I, it's the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's the Holy Spirit that woke us all up this morning and reminded us today is the Sabbath. There's only one place I can be today. I have to remember to keep the Sabbath. And remember that the Sabbath has a holy convocation attached to it. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit sanctifies through the law. The Holy Spirit convicts me. It convicts me that before the Ten Commandments, I stand accused, condemned, 
and convicted before the law of God, and I need a Savior. That's what the Ten Commandments can tell me. So number three, number three, the law, when legislated and enforced, when God's law is legislated and enforced by man, it puts down wickedness. When God's law is legislated by man's government, court system, legislative system, and enforced, it controls the wicked. It puts the wicked in fear of the punishment of God's law. Now, I have given you verses that are missing from the, the pages here. So, you know I need to do this. I still have time to do that if I hurry. So let me do that. The finest verses for number one on the law defining and establishing the guilt of the sinner. The best verses that I know, 1 John 3, 4, 1 John 3, 4, Romans 3, 20, Romans 7, 20, Romans 3, 20, Romans 7, correction, Romans 7, 7, not 7, 20, and Galatians 3, 24, Romans 7, 19 through 25, Romans 7, 19 through 25, and there's a legion of others. And number two, the Holy Spirit being the sanctifier by using the law to convict us and live right. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. I'm on point number two. Second Thessalonians 2, 13. First Peter 1, 2. Romans 8, 4, and many, many others that could be cited. That was 2 Thessalonians 2.13, 1 Peter 1.2, and Romans 8.4. Now, I'm going to read this for the record. I am going to just turn in my Bible to Romans 3, verse 20, and read this verse. Romans 3.20 just simply says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, in the sight of God. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And number two, on the sanctification of the Holy Spirit, listen to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 13. Wow, what a verse this is. I'm in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you, now listen, through sanctification, chosen you to salvation, through sanctification of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit does the sanctifying, not the law. But it uses the law to prick your conscience and make you live right. And finally, the law, when legislated and enforced, checks wickedness. We end with 1 Timothy chapter number 1. 1 Timothy chapter number 1. The Bible says this. 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 8. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, now watch carefully, that the law is not made, not made for the righteous man, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly, for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, homosexuals, 
for men stealers, for liars, for perjured, per, perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Shame on America, we once honored all those. We once all enshrined everyone, almost every one of those in, in our laws in this country. And we've now disbanded all of them, disannulled them. How's it going for us? Terrible. God bless you. Let's be standing.